Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly podcast that interviews agency owners and HubSpot Solutions partners from around the globe about operations, growth, and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Today, our guest is Ricky Lear, Director at Digital 22. We discuss the inflection points for his team at key stages of growth. First, when and how he decided to go all in with HubSpot, how he communicated that to his existing client base, and what the ripple effects were. We then talk about the need for process and project management, automation, and other guardrails for scaling. Lastly, we get into the recent acquisition by Avidly, how those discussions came to be, how both sides would vet out the other, and what this means for the future of his team. Agency Unfiltered, hit it. Ricky, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How you doing, my friend? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Really pleased. Yeah, excited to get you in here. Um, give us a, a quick uh, shout out. Where are you dialing in from? Yeah, so we're in a small town in the UK called Clitheroe, which is most probably best known for being 20 miles or so from Manchester. <laughs> in, in miles, huh? Miles, not kilometers. No, we're still uh, we're miles on distances in the UK. Oh. We we do some things in metric and some in imperials just to confuse everybody. You know, I'll tell you this, uh, you know, 30, sec- 30 seconds into an episode, I just learned something new. That's good to know. There you go. We're half, half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, before we get into this whole thing, um, one of my favorite topics, I think, is at the table here, and it's uh, like inflection points uh, that that your team has seen uh, through various periods of growth and, and, you know, what sort of needs, uh, you know, were exacerbated because of that. And so I love talking inflection points, growth milestones, et cetera. But before we get into the nitty gritty of all that stuff, just give us a quick rundown. Who is digital 22? Who are you? Uh, just give us the, the short and sweet synopsis and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Yeah. In a nutshell, we're a HubSpot agency. We operate out of UK and Canada. Uh, myself, I founded digital 22, I lose track of time, but eight or nine years ago, my background's completely in marketing, digital marketing, um, and then growing into being a managing director these days. If someone asked me on the street what I did for a living, I'd say marketing, but probably don't do too much marketing these days, truth be told. The actual marketing itself is probably left in the hands of some other folks at this day and age for you, right? Yeah, people are much better at it than I am. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, and so uh, maybe the... I don't know. I don't know if I want to work backwards, but give me an idea of where you are today. I don't know if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, but talk to me about Digital Twenty Two as it looks today, uh, and then we'll go back to the beginning and work our way to that, similar to maybe how a Tarantino film would play out. So, what does Digital Twenty Two look like operationally, team size, org chart, etc.? Uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So interesting time to ask the question, really. So uh, <laughs> Digital Twenty Two is a fifty-person-ish team. Um, mainly all based in UK at the moment. Um, a lot of big change last year, which we'll get talking about. Um, as of now, we we aren't Digital 22 anymore. We're mm. avidly UK and Canada. Um, only been a couple of weeks. Uh, so we fit into 
the part of a bigger organization looking after this yeah. part of the world. Um, structure, organizationally, um, the vast majority of that team, so 75% or so will be people delivering marketing, CRM and mm-hmm. web work. Um, and then like most of the companies in the world, we've got um, internal support services, HR, finance, sales, yep. all of that sort of stuff as well. And my role is to support the heads of those major functions of the business. That's great. And congratulations uh, on the big news, obviously joining the Avidly team. Uh, you know, only only been weeks at this point, which is uh, awesome. And, I, you know, as you can imagine, we'll, we'll get into all of that shortly. Out of the 75% of the team that's on delivery, you mentioned marketing, web, CRM services. Is the team organized by specialty or are they more generalists that can provide those types of services or support for, for all clients? No, yeah, we niche down into specialism. So I think we've got 12 departments in in that. So everything from SEO and PPC to web strategy and development. So very specialist focused in terms of roles. That's great. Good to know. Uh, Now, I can imagine some folks listening in, you mentioned 50 plus folks. Uh, That seems wildly substantial and a pretty, pretty significantly large org chart for a number of other partners I can imagine in the ecosystem. So let's pull it back to, which is exciting. So let's pull it back to some of the early days. And, and at what point uh, in the early days of this eight to nine year journey, I believe you cited, like what was that first key inflection point? What was like the first big decision that you had to make? And maybe it's potentially something to do around the HubSpot partner program, but what did it look like? <laughs> at what period of your early stage development was it? Um, and and uh, we'll see where that takes us. Yeah, sure. So I guess it's kind of the agency started from me being a SEO and PPC consultants, probably too fancy a word, but individual <laughs> uh, working with clients and it, it kind of morphed from there really. So our first two or three hires were all focused around offering clients um, SEO and PPC services. And the first inflection point for us um, came from when we joined the HubSpot partnership. Uh, we got by chance, a cold call from HubSpot, um, which isn't the way most people end up buying HubSpot for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> Sounds very inbound Sounds very inbound yeah, yeah. I think we were the, the success story of, of, <laughs> of some sort of outbound thing, which is quite yeah. ironic. But um, we, we joined the HubSpot. We kind of bought HubSpot originally, and you, we, you kind of roll into the partnership by default. But the main reason we got into HubSpot originally was to get us more SEO and PPC business. So we're going to use it as a growth tool for ourselves, basically, Um, which we ran for six to nine months and realized this really works and it's better at doing the inbound methodology where SEO and PPC are baked into a more holistic plan. And we thought, okay, if if we're doing this for ourselves and it's really working, like this is the future and we need to do it for clients. So we really became a HubSpot partner properly. And um, the first major decision, I, I when I look back and think, how did we get here, was deciding to say, okay, this is what we're doing. And if we're going to do it, then we're really going to do it. We went 100% in on HubSpot. And we literally had a moment where in one day, we emailed every client we had um, who was signed up with us on SEO and PPTC retainers, which is probably 40 to 50 clients. And we just said, look, we're going this way do you want to come with us or do you want to go to one of the other 10,000 digital marketing agencies <laughs> in the UK? Um, 
a very small percentage of them came back and said they'd like <laughs> to join us league. on that journey. That's a big league. It is, league. it is a big yeah. If you're yeah. talking an average retainer size was probably £500 and oh. what we were asking was £5,000 to join us on the journey. Luckily, we did get five or six to say yeah and we became a gold agency that day. Like They joined HubSpot and we went on that journey. We probably halved our revenues but we 90% dropped our clients. So it's it was a... It was a huge moment for us, but I mean, it's the reason we're sat here today, frankly, like we could have rolled on being generic yeah. SEO agency and trying to compete with everyone in the world, but going on that decision at the time we did it was was going niche. Yep. There weren't many people prepared to say I'm 100% HubSpot agency seven years ago or whenever it was. Um, so it felt like a big moment for us. Yeah. Well, yeah, clearly. Uh, I mean, again, that's a, that's a huge decision to have to make. I can imagine it wasn't too easy at the time. You can look back probably a little more fondly now. I mean, everything seemed to have worked out, but, uh, being able to say, you know, uh, we, we have to niche down, we have to, you know, be aligned around the HubSpot software and we're going to let go of the clients that want more of the rinse and repeat PPC SEO work that, you know, there's an oversaturated market of folks that can offer that services, um, or those services. How long did you linger on that decision? Like how you know what no. I mean? Like did how many how many sleepless nights were there before you pulled the trigger on those emails? To to do that one, not literally none. I was I was so self confident with, and I, and I think it's because we bought HubSpot ourselves first, and we did it that way around gave us the confidence to do this. So so going and doing it wasn't. We we literally just went for it. Like didn't think about it too much. We knew it was the right thing. Probably took us longer to decide to buy HubSpot ourselves. Like sure. are we going to invest? 600 pound a month to try and grow our agency like that was probably something that lingered a, a couple of months but once we were in it and doing it we knew we knew we were on the right track and i guess like we, we kind of had the benefit that we were small enough to take a big risk yeah like if i was a 50 person agency today and said okay let's email our clients and see who joins us <laughs> i'd definitely be losing sleep about that one but you felt the, the timing time... was right based on size and, and where you were yeah oh yeah and like the journey exactly. yeah um yeah, that, that that makes total sense. And honestly, that is kind of like the ideal partner journey, especially in those days of the program where you purchase HubSpot, you see it works, you trust the platform, the strategy on top of it, you see it work for yourself. And then that carries through as confidence in, in talking with prospects and your existing customers. Yeah. How yeah, long did that? it take to build back up the uh, the amount of clients or the revenue? I think you mentioned it, it may have halved at that initial point, but so so what did it look like to, to bring that business back or to establish the new business to replace that, that of which you lost. It, it it didn't it didn't take too long because of the just the pure different size in retainers. We're talking like selling ten x <laughs> the retainer sizes. You didn't have to sell a lot to get back where we were, so it didn't feel too much short term pain. There were certainly longer and harder sales processes back then to get people onto HubSpot for sure. Mm. When in the UK it wasn't particularly well known, and you weren't just teaching. HubSpot, you were teaching inbound, which wasn't well known then as well. So it didn't take too long, but the sales processes took a long time like compared to today. But two or three clients literally changed it around and we were back where we were, but with so much less hassle and <laughs> aggravation of 50 clients. It was a it was a weight off everyone's shoulders when, when, when we did that for sure. Quality over quantity at that point. Big time, yeah. And some of those clients are still with us today. It's just good relationships and um, 
they've they've been on the journey with us, which is which is fantastic. That's great. Now, uh, as you you made that pivot, substantial pivot, uh, and it sounds like over the next couple of years you were able to continue to grow, bring in meaningful business, take some weight off the shoulders of your. Uh, I would imagine account teams, delivery teams, and like the quantity of type of clients and work that they had to do. At what point does or did uh, process management, uh, project management, like, okay, let's templatize some of the ways in which we approach things. Where can we automate some of the more repetitive tasks? Like at what, where's the inflection point where that stuff started to uncover itself as a, as a major need? Yeah, for sure. We, we were, early on process in our in our journey and and systemizing um quite big believers of it um mark who owned another agency called the new media company who we i want to say acquired but it's an exaggeration of the scenario um joined us and brought his um he ran a design and development agency and they were they were huge on process he had a team of six or seven we had a team of six or seven and Mm. new media folded into digital 22 at the time and mark became a director here we knew then when we suddenly had gone from a team of six or seven to 14 offering multiple different types of work web design inbound marketing retainers that we needed to systemize and process so i think when we joined we were both using trello perhaps uh we soon upgraded to a system called do inbound which i'm not sure if you're familiar with but it was an early day uh project management system for delivering inbound retainers um and that was the time we actually sat and really mapped everything out in detail i think we probably went a bit too crazy at the time i remember mapping out our inbound retainer it was like two and a half thousand tasks per month oh, um, yeah. and I think we broke the system quite quickly and that's when we realized okay and we and to be fair we've always had that battle with consistency of service versus autonomy and creativity yeah like how much process do you do but we, we do tend to lean more on the process side but I would I wouldn't like to think we'd have got anywhere near as fast growth that we got without doing that yeah. I think we grew 100% revenue every year for at least the first six years in business and we Jeez. couldn't have done that without without systems and processes there's, yeah. there's no chance we'd have gotten near it the structure how would you do you have a decision tree or like the way in which you delineate how prescriptive a structure should be versus where autonomy or creativity folds in like where do you draw the line it's difficult and we still debate it now it comes up in our leadership meetings probably twice a year um and i I think it's more there's no set formula or way that we've discovered for doing that other than we feel like we've crossed a line one way or another like we've maybe had some client feedback and it's given us um the impetus to put in more steps in like quality control or something like that where it's fell down Mm. or we look at something and we think what's missing here and have we been too prescriptive with the team so it's more good checks and feedback from the team and clients rather than anything that we have to say we're in the right or wrong place yeah it's almost Um, like you'll know it when you see it or hear it right the feedback feels important but you mentioned the lens of quality control makes a ton of sense right and it's like process should exist to enable quality control of delivery right yeah and quality control when you're running an agency is is paramount like it's like running a 
newspaper printer. Like yeah. you've got to check in, it's got to be right. And if it's not, there's repercussions. Like you lose clients, clients complain, staff then get unhappy. Like if you don't nail your quality control process, it's <laughs> uh, it's one of the worst things to, yeah. to be out of control. And But you can go the other way. I did a review recently um, where we'd put that much quality control pro- process in that we realized like 15% of what a client was spending on a particular project was quality control, <laughs> which, and then you're like, okay, maybe we've gone too far, but to yeah. be fair, it was good quality. So <laughs> I don't know where you're trying to Right. Yeah. Blessing <laughs> yeah. and the curse, I suppose, you know, it is but yeah, it, for sure. And so that's actually a good point. It sounds like, you know, process, process development shouldn't be seen as concrete. And once it's said, it's said, it should be more fluid. And I would imagine that steps get removed, steps get added, prescription gets adjusted, just, over time and it's continually optimized is that is that a fair way to think about it yeah i mean if we don't change a process every day i'd i'd be surprised um we have a three-person team whose full-time job it is to look after processes and the system that runs the processes and i see their inbox and it's busy (laughs) and most of those are tweaks and changes to the processes they then get applied to the templates that we use on the next similar project or client. So yeah. it's it's literally a living a living thing. And that's why sometimes you do have to go in and sense check sometimes, like let's rip a project down and see how much time was spent in everything. How yeah. much uh, is it focused in the right place? Because one of the negatives of a live system like that is sometimes you can overpad things from good intentions you can spend too much time in strategy and not get onto delivery fast enough or Mm -hmm. whatever it is but they're all done with good intentions at the time but if you don't review them regularly they can get out of balance a little bit for the team that uh i think you mentioned a three-person team kind of owns uh process systems maybe documentation is that their singular responsibility are there secondary tasks on their plate as well do they take any client work is there anything else on their plate or is that their primary like role and and job function yeah that's a that's their full-time job so they they look after the system which means they're loading the client projects onto there Mm -hmm. and they're um, owning all of the templates that are on it so that's a that's their full-time job is owning the systems that deliver work that's awesome i love that uh based on how frequently processes may change and you know I, I don't know the answer in which how you know how how often they change or how substantial the changes are how does that communication trickle down to the rest of the team that is then asked to use that process you know what i mean yeah for sure that's a it's another big job to do is is keeping people abreast of all of that change we have we run the eos program yeah. uh sort of playbook here so we have uh the department l10 so each of the 12 functions of the business in terms of delivery that i mentioned before have an l10 every other week and that's a part of the agenda there is what's changed is this a good or bad change should should we change things um is debated within the delivery teams ultimately they make the choice like on what changes not the projects team the projects team are there to facilitate and help make it happen no understand the people delivering the delivering the work the ones who debate it and make the choice ultimately that's a great model uh, with EOS, are you a visionary or an implementer? I don't know. Me, me and Mark, who's my business partner, we both struggle with putting ourselves in. Uh, I think if we had to, we'd probably say I'm the visionary and he's the implementer, but we're certainly neither of us. Are Fully one way stereos. or the other? Yeah. No, we're like 60-40 at best. So we, we struggled when we, we tried to do that, and it's one of the things we didn't 
I was going to say get traction, but that's cheesy. Get, um, <laughs> it's a little too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the things that didn't quite stick with us in terms of labels. We tried to pick it up and we're, we're both very get things done people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're probably both way slightly away from the visionary a little bit, but um, that's one of those. More curious than anything. Um, yeah. As we talk about process, uh, the systems to enable process management, where does where does automation factor in for your team? And like, do you have any examples of tasks you've identified as overly manual, overly repetitive? Like, where have you automated aspects of the process uh, to make the delivery team more efficient? Yeah, for sure. So I don't think we've got too much that I'd say is automated in terms of client delivery. I think where we've done well is sort of templates and best practice of repetitive tasks so Mm. like a landing page it doesn't really matter what you're trying to get somebody to do the 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 copy process is the same it's got a formula that it converts high and and those sorts of things so i think we've got those and same for workflows like there's a way to nurture somebody from downloading an ebook to speaking to sales that's pretty formulaic yeah and i think we've done really well in those i think in terms of automation i think the best thing we have is on the project side of things which is making sure that the tasks land with people at the time they can do it so when we've been on things like our journey through Basecamp and a million other project management systems one of the things we struggled with is people knowing when they can do the thing that's on their board yeah um so, and there's, there's a lot of factors that go into that as an agency it's has your teammate passed off well to you? Have they give you a good brief? Has the client approved it? Like the stars need to align for you to be able to do a particular thing on a particular hour on a particular day. Okay. And I think one of the things we've done really well with the project management system we have now is we've got that nailed. So somebody knows when they open their work to do that day that they can do it because there's an insane amount of hours wasted in an agency when you have to track down, can I do that task or not? Um, so we've definitely put a lot of focus into that with the project team for sure. So it it sounds like visibility and affirmation of all of the dependent tasks are there yeah. and findable and ready to act upon. And that's the key bit is the dependencies is where the automation comes in. It's like yeah. these five dependencies have to be ticked before that task is generated by the system and put on somebody's plate. Um, and that's where a lot of the sophistication goes into on the automation side. And I can imagine it's a pretty laborious process to highlight like, okay, what are all of the, the tasks we a- ask any individual to perform? Now we have to map out all the dependent tasks from there. Like I can imagine it's, it's a, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of web to un- untangle there. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's crazy. People see a deliverable as a blog or something like that, but to, to get a good blog out the door, there's there's an insane amount of um, steps and checklists and items that go into it. It'll be comfortably 30, 40 steps that you need to take to get a good blog out the door, which is probably through five or six swimming lanes of teams. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the client involved. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a lot, a, lot of, like, a lot of fingers in the pie, if you will, you know? Yeah, for what looks like a thousand words on a web page right. like <laughs> uh, for folks that might be listening and be like dang i need to do a better job at that any tips on how to like how, how to get how to crack on that i think it's with the with the team i think if you try and do it yourself 
you'll you'll do it forever like if i sat down and said i'm going to write these <laughs> I'll, I'll be there the rest of my life i think it's getting the people who you hire to do those jobs to help you do it certainly facilitate them give them a good template give them expectations on this is what the outcome should look like um but i'd, I'd get them to do it they're the experts they're the ones in it every day they know they know better than i do about how to do those things so i think just empowering people to do it and then you've crowdsourced the problem. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. The, the people that have to do these things every day, right. They're going to provide the most valuable insight on what they need to be successful and what they pass on as the output as a dependent task for whatever the next thing is. Right. And I've only learned that through trying to give a process to somebody when I not the one doing it and they're like, they either do it and it's really an efficient way of doing it or they're like, it's ridiculous. I'm doing it this way. It's like, okay, I tried to give you a start, but well, do you have an um, example there? Do you have one that like I tried and it was just a complete swing and a miss? I think I think when you where a good one is doing outreach for SEO, and I think I'm I'm a very formulaic, logical person. So I tried to like, okay, you've got to click on this link and put in this keyword and find these names of people, and like I say, you end up at a hundred tasks or something. And then when you get the people who are specialists in doing this and they're like creative thinkers, they just have so much, their brain goes in a different way. It's like, I know what I need to do and I'm going to find it this way. And when they write out their process, it's just like, I've got to understand the industry and find the opportunity and go, okay, there's two or three things involved in that, but it's not always tick that box, do this, do it that way, do it that way, which is which is how my brain works. And that's that's a good also a good example of what I was talking about with sort of autonomy versus creativity as well. You don't want to cage people in who are professionals at their job. Right. Not um, every single thing has to be a prescriptive box to to check off, right? There is yeah. some wiggle room on how to achieve A as long as A is, you know, whatever the requirements are. And if they'd have ran my way, the results would have been terrible they'd have they'd have got the same list everyone else was looking for as an agency the email asking for to do a guest blog or whatever it is would have been templated and the same as everybody else whereas what the guys are doing is creating proper relationships and they bespokely write the emails which gets a higher response rate mm -hmm. and yeah so that that's a really good example of where you can't go too detailed yep. on the formula no that's a great example um Let's uh, let's move over to the more recent news. Um, so you mentioned now that Digital Twenty Two is part of the Avid Lee team. Very exciting. Uh, what? How did the early days of that conversation come to be? Um, who kicked it off? Where they went? Give me some. Give me some perspective into kind of how things, how this process began. Yeah. Well, by the magic of the world, the very first partner day I went to seven whatever years ago it was the people i sat next to on that table were the original founders of what is now avidly group mm -hmm. uh, so there's like a husband and wife team then back in the day um so i met them then and kind of became aware of the what they did as an agency and then it was probably only three years ago when we started talking seriously so mm. um avidly reached out to us and asked if we'd be interested um which which we were we knew we knew of them and what they were doing in in the industry which was good things um and we, we had some serious chats back then uh, but the thing with something like this is it's it's two things it's timing and it's alignment and i think 
alignment's pretty much always been there. The thing that hasn't been is timing. So when we spoke three years ago, I, I don't think we were ready to go into a company like that. We mm-hmm. we still had things we wanted to sort our end. Um, these things we keep talking about, inflection points and things. We, we weren't in a place where I felt comfortable with our structure and processes to go and plug it into somebody else. Yeah. Um, so although it was, it was attractive three years ago to go and do it because culturally we're really aligned, it just wasn't the right time. And then when it picked up more recently, so when it picked back up last year as a more serious conversation, there's a few things changed their end in terms of management team. And I think when they presented to us the the two key things really, which is strategy and, and culture, like I lit- we literally got each of the slides up on what we were saying our strategy is and our culture and theirs up and the overlap was insane, which told us this is the right move. The right that, company that to, sounds like a good to be time. doing it with. Yeah, exactly. It's a good, yeah. good check. Yeah, 100%. And it felt really comfortable. And then time and rise, I felt we were in the right place. We were running smoothly. I've got no big blockers or obstacles. And I, and I could genuinely get excited about the opportunity rather than thinking, okay, if I do this, this I've got to fix all these things and make these things work. And I, And that's the mindset we wanted to go into this with is the opportunity is vast, like, tapping into another 250 specialists is exciting. Like we want to learn from those people and they want to learn from us, which is great. The opportunity for clients to take advantage of that expertise. Every time I was looking at at it, all I kept coming back to was opportunity. So it just, that ticked the time inbox. This is the right time to go and do something exciting for, for the team and for clients. Um, which were the two sort of things we needed to tick. Is it the right for those two yeah. parties? No, I like how you, you, you brought it down to, to timing and alignment. And I think timing, there's a subsection of timing, which includes just, yeah, the opportunity. And it sounds like, if anything, the the availability now for both knowledge share between the two teams, um, but also leveraging each other's expertise for like the client experience and the the work delivering being delivered to clients. Uh, those are all net positives for, for both sides, which is great. Um, yeah, for sure. You mentioned you still wanted to get your structure uh, into a good place and the processes into into a good place in order to be able to plug into another organization. How does that compare or may potentially contrast to whatever existing processes and systems and tools that Avidly might have? And so what does team integration look like uh, when there might be differences uh, uh, between, you know, process and, and the way in which they're handled? One of the things that I love about the relationship we've got with Avidly and the way they do things like this is they recognize that they're buying something good and it works. So there's no obligation to change things. Like there's no one coming in tomorrow and saying like, he's our processes, he's our systems, he's how we do things. The good way it's been positioned is it's all optional. And the way we're looking at this year is it's learning from each other. So all we're doing at the moment is connecting people like here's the SEO folks here, here's the SEO folks here, like have a chat and talk about how you do things and hopefully you'll pick up ideas and agree on um, changes to, to processes. And, and long-term, I think those will start to lead to them merging together and being the same. But the, at the moment, it's just purely learning. And I've learned a ton already in, in a few weeks from being in, in a bigger enterprise and 
I think we're definitely leveling up the way we look at things like financials and forecasting and uh, HR matrices and mm. things that big companies have that are difficult for small companies to do. And I think they're getting a lot back from us in terms of HubSpot skill and expertise and maybe how we've done specific deployments of projects and things. But all we're both doing at the moment is talking a lot. And it's not just me and some person at Avidly. It's the teams talking yeah. to each other and learning. Um, so that's how we're going about it, which is good. Because I guess what none of us wanted was we we don't want the place we work to change. We love working here. The 50 people that work here love working here. We get good EMPS scores. Like There's no motivation for anybody to change that. Um, which was an important part of it, and we wouldn't we wouldn't have done this if it was the other way around, where it was like, okay, by March your website's got to change and you've got to run on a separate system, and mm-hmm. like we didn't need that much big change to come because we were in a good place. Um, so I'm I'm quite enjoying this sort of relaxed discovery sort of phase of it of just let's get to find out what we all do really well and take the best bits of both. Yeah. That's great. That sounds like that was part of the vetting process and maybe why this was such a great fit, you know, because of the way in which you both want to approach kind of the assimilation of the the two teams. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, you sort of asked, you, you sort of answered my next question before I got a chance to ask it, which is cool, but it's, you know, talking about the next inflection point and what, you know, the post acquisition life looks like for digital, the digital 22 team. What are you most excited about? And it sounded like some of the, the back office uh, areas are getting focused. Uh, I think you mentioned financials and forecasting, some HR matrices. Uh, what else are you excited about um, for this for this next stage of growth? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's allowed us to accelerate what we were what we were already planning, which was growing um, again, growing a team. Hopefully, we'll be sitting here next year and we'll be eighty or so people. And bringing new people in is intrinsically for me exciting and motivational. I think it's a I love the buzz in the office and being around people. So that's that's always a good motivator. So I think I'm excited about that. And then it, it's weird to get excited about some of these other things, but I think being part of a public listed company teaches you a lot of good things that you should be doing in your business. So yeah. forecasting's one. So as a public listed company, you need to tell people what you're going to do. And then you've obviously got to live up to those promises. But that means you need to get super accurate on mm-hmm. what you think you're going to do. And while we've always done cash flow forecasts and predictions, they've been a bit meaningless. Like someone sends them to me and I look at them and say, that looks good. And I, I don't particularly check if we did it or not. Whereas this has a good forcing function of, okay, the the, the public's going to see this and they're going to see if we did it or not. So um, it's making us really get better at data and accuracy and things mm-hmm. like that in the in the back end of the business, which is, Again, it doesn't sound exciting, but as a as a business owner, it is because it gives you it gives you more security and stability to know those things are in a good place. Yeah, no, I would say it is exciting, right? I mean, being able to level up your ability to accurately forecast, um, but then improving upon your team's accountability to hit what you forecasted, right? Uh, that's yeah, that that's gonna unlock that's major growth for this group, you know, um, which is exciting. Is. You guys. Um, last question I have for you, Ricky, I, I wrap every episode with this question. It's uh, what is the weirdest part of agency life? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. 
I think for me, I don't I don't know if this is weird, but I think the connection between life and work is a little bit weird in an agency. And I think so many of us here have woven those two things together really tightly for, for better or for worse. And I say for worse because two years ago when we all had to leave the office and got sent home for COVID reasons, yeah. like you, you kind of lost your place of work and your social life the same day and I know everybody did but for us they were the same thing Mm -hmm. so literally my schedule here and I could do this every night of the week if I didn't get in trouble at home but on Monday night we do like Dungeons and Dragons on Tuesday night we play five aside together on Wednesday like it's like there are things here all the time and and I think that's um I don't know if that's weird but it feels I don't know. I don't know if it's the right place, but we we love it. Like when when we see everyone talking about working from home and like this is the future, it's like it's, it's really not for us. Like we <laughs> love being around each other, right. and I wouldn't have it any other way. And although we're doing hybrid, and people are working from home a few days a week and getting focused for sure, but I'd hate to see a future personally where that's I never saw these people except on on calls. Well, I um, think remote and, they, and hybrid don't have to be, and they shouldn't be synonymous with like isolation, right? No. Which is what 100%. you're calling out here. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like work-life balance is now a myth. You know, at best it's work-life integration, but they're two sides of the same coin now, you know? Exactly that. And I think, I think they're, they're the, new, the new ways of looking at things. And I like that everywhere is getting like that. Mm-hmm. Um, having having your life and your work integrated in the right way is, I think, a really good phrase to come out of the last couple of years. Um, now, that was supposed to be my last question, but as you talk through some of the games you play on a nightly basis, do you ever play, you ever get into Settlers of Catan? <laughs> no, not yet. Sounds like uh, something we definitely have a subgroup for. for, here, though, <laughs> you for gotta sure. You got to get it on your list and you let me know how you like it. I definitely will. I'll check that out afterwards <laughs> and uh, maybe we can set that up. We just saved another like 10 minutes of recording for this episode by by avoiding that topic. So uh, oh, really? maybe better for the listeners. But uh, Ricky, thank you for joining us. This has been super insightful. I appreciate you coming on, walking through some of the experiences of your team. And again, uh, congrats uh, on the acquisition and, and joining the Avidly team. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Real pleasure and, and uh, really enjoyed it. Well, uh, for everyone tuning in, thank you. Uh, As always, and this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.